Hi there, my name's Ollie Lloyd and welcome to the Food Talk Show. On today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Ellen Roberts, the co-founder of Better Nature. Now, Better Nature's on a mission to make tempeh mainstream uh, and have really been making a bit of an impact, I would say, in, in the last 12 months. So I'm delighted to welcome Ellen to the Food Talk Show and to hear her story. So thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Very happy to be here. Well, listen, so, I mean, suppose to start off with, can you just give us a bit of the sort of the background of, of how Better Nature came about and what the, the business is trying to do? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, it's quite a, probably quite a long-winded story because there are f- actually four of us that set it up um, and we all kind of came at it in quite different ways. So sort of the first, I guess, pairing of all of us was me and Chris who went to uni together uh, and I joined uni as a vegan, which was quite a strange choice at the time <laughs> um, and was not, yeah, not very sort of common, but kind of chatted to Chris about it throughout my time at uni and he was always very interested. And then by the time we left uni, he was also vegetarian um, and then sort of it really sparked an interest in him. He'd always been big into the environment, but hadn't sort of made the connection between the two. And so then it kind of sparked a real interest for him. But he was also very much into into fitness um I was big sort of rower and boxer and really wanted to have sort of a healthy high protein foods and was struggling to find that on a vegetarian diet and then at a conference he met Ando who's uh, Indonesian has been eating tempeh since he was a baby had done a PhD on tempeh had set up a charity on tempeh uh, and at this conference they were sort of tasked with coming up with a business idea uh, to to basically do something that would help the climate crisis. And that's what Ando shared with, temp- with, with Chris all about tempeh. Uh, and Chris was amazed because he had literally never heard of tempeh before. Like he hadn't seen it in the supermarkets when he'd been looking for that sort of healthy, high protein food. Um, and then they actually came up with the idea to to create. Initially, actually, it was a in the in the competition was to create a tempeh maker, so like a bread maker, but for tempeh, uh, which actually won. So they won the competition, and then they thought quite seriously. You know, there was something in this. Like we we need to get more people eating tempeh because it is this incredible food. You know, it's super high in protein, but it's also high in fiber. It's one of your five a day. It's packed with loads of different nutrients, and as it's fermented, it's great for the gut as well. So which like you know we need to get more people eating this. And so that's actually when Chris reached out to me and said, you know, I've met this guy. He's got this, you know, this amazing story. He's obsessed with this incredible food. Uh, and, you know, obviously it's plant-based. So I think you'll love it. Like, do you want to do you want to join us to, to try and get it sort of mainstream in the UK? And I guess, you know, eventually further afield. Uh, and at the time I was working in in a marketing agency, which I was really enjoying, but I kind of in an agency, you sort of have to work on all different clients. You kind of, you know, you can't be too picky. And for me, I've always been someone who has been very, very values driven, obviously, you know, been passionate about the environment, animals, you know, well-being, you know, all that's really important to me. So the idea could actually work sort of 100% of the time on something that I just fully believed in and cared about was just too appealing uh, to turn down and also have, you know, the, the, the chance to make a real impact. So that's why I said yes. And then sort of, uh, Fabio had been traveling around Indonesia. He's his background's in nutrition. He absolutely fell in love with tempeh. Again, just could not believe it wasn't more widely eaten. And then when he looked it up online, he found Ando because Ando is literally all over tempeh online. If you look up tempeh, you find Ando. He's just, yeah, anything to do with tempeh, he's done it. And then message Ando was like, I really want to do something around tempeh. Like, you know, is, are you interested? Uh, and at the time, Ando was still doing his PhD. So he wasn't sort of looking for anything um, to kind of do anything beyond that. 
And then when he started speaking with Chris, he was like, oh, actually, there's this guy that I think could be a great fit. And so reached out to him and then we all kind of came together and it just, yeah, worked, worked really well from the start. We had quite different sort of quite different skill sets and interests and it all just sort of kind of, yeah, it seemed to sort of fit together a bit like a puzzle. So yeah, it's been a, it's been quite the journey. That was almost five years ago now. Oh, wow. uh, and yeah, our mission really is just to get as many people eating tempeh as possible. That's, that's quite simple. Why, why do you think it hasn't, um, I suppose, you know, taken off the way it should have done? I mean, why has it taken this long for tempeh to, I mean, it's not in the mainstream yet, but why has it taken so long for someone to kind of lean into this? Uh, it's a good question. I think, there, I think, to be honest, there are so many different reasons. Um, I'd say one is definitely to do with the fact that even in Indonesia, it's not been celebrated as much as it should. So that's actually why Ando set up the charity in Indonesia, along with his mum and his grandpa, called the Indonesian Tempeh Movement, was to get Indonesians more proud of tempeh. Because it used to, you know, it's be, it's a protein staple there. You know, it's been it's mm-hmm. the most popular protein to consume. But for a long while, there's been almost this kind of shame around it. It's always been positioned as like a peasant food. It's obviously not a nice way of saying it, but that's that's literally how it has been represented. So it's not been something that Indonesians have been especially proud of or have kind of recognised really how amazing it is. And that's also something that Ando was trying to do with his PhD, was actually trying to show definitive research so this is an amazing food it has you know huge health benefits so you'll notice even you know not that there there aren't as many sort of indonesian restaurants around as maybe you'd have like chinese or japanese restaurants which obviously center tofu more so i think that has an impact but even if you go to an indonesian restaurant often tempeh is not on the menu which for us is so shocking because it's just one of the most amazing foods that they have but it's just not something that's been seen as something to celebrate and i think on the other hand as well for a long time tempeh was sort of made at home or it's been made in very small you know small producers which is great but it's been because it's fermented it and and when it's sort of fresh that ferment that fermented taste is quite a lot stronger it has been very polarizing so if some people just haven't liked it so much that's something that we've had to work on with our sort of manufacturers is trying to find a way to maintain all those health benefits Mm. Um, obviously we do need to pasteurize it because that's literally the only way that we can sell it for anything longer than about two days Um, but also sort of reduce that fermentation taste because that does put people off a bit so I think that's also maybe played a bit of a part but to be honest I think it's been more the former that it's just not been sort of celebrated in its own country and then also you know people from that country the sort of the cuisine Indonesian cuisine hasn't sort of spread across the world as much as some others it's interesting because I mean I, I mean I lived in Asia for a, for a while working for Unilever in in, in um, Mumbai and then in Bangkok and you know we, I spent a lot of time in Jakarta and I spent a lot of time you know traveling around and in, enjoying you know the amazing country that Indonesia is and it is interesting how its cuisine has not traveled in a way that other cuisines have and I, I sort of it is one of those kind of slightly misunderstood cultures isn't it which is it, it you know it's sort of it's just it's just interesting actually that I suppose it hasn't impacted even in Asia um, tempeh. Yeah, I mean it's quite widely eaten in Malaysia. Obviously, it's quite close yes. by, and Singapore and things like that. But again, very close by. Uh, so it's, I would say it's very popular there, like almost as popular as it is in Indonesia. But exactly in sort of more northern Asian countries, no, it really hasn't spread, which is something eventually we'd like to make happen as well. <laughs> yeah, but essentially those are the smaller populations, aren't they? Those are you know, I mean Malaysia again, you know, relatively small versus the likes of the Indias and, and the um, and the Chinas of this world. Um, so. 
Because it's interesting, I actually went on to BBC Good Food and had a look at the number of recipes um, that there are for tempeh. And rather terrifyingly, um, BBC Good Food, that is normally a search engine that I, I, I would say I trust, uh, you know, actually delivered 11 results, uh, of which one was a Shirley Temple uh, cocktail uh, and the other was a, was a, was a sort of a, a chicken dish, which I found a bit alarming. Um, so I think it's definitely some stuff for, for BBC Good Food to do with our algorithm. Um, but I suppose what for you are the kind of the gateways into tempeh. So if someone takes tempeh home for the first time, what is it that you um, encourage them to cook to try and, and have a sort of positive first experience? Yeah, this is actually quite an interesting one because this is something as a business we've discussed a lot. So kind of initially mm. when we were sort of starting out, we were thinking, okay, people don't know how to cook tempeh. They get this block and they're like, what on earth do I do with it? So we tried to make it as sort of intuitive and easy as possible. So we went for sort of actually a few years ago, our strategy was quite quite different and we were sort of trying to create more sort of healthy versions of like meat alternatives. So we had things like tempeh-based like kebab strips that didn't taste exactly like kebab but we were like okay it's really clear how you use it uh, and then we had like ribs and things like that uh, and what we found is to be honest that just didn't work because people were just like if I want you know kebab strips I'm just going to get the more realistic option and if I want ribs again I'm just going to get the more realistic option um so we've kind of tried over the years to make it as convenient as possible for people and make it really clear how you use it and to be honest it's, it's just not worked necessarily as well as we would have expected and actually time and time again our organic tempeh block is what sells the best which we find really interesting I think part of that's to do with the people that are sort of eating tempeh now are the people that are going to be a bit more engaged obviously because we're still you know somewhat niche but even when we've sort of run consumer research with a sort of a broader audience people are looking for those more plain products and I think that's a shift that we're seeing generally in the meat-free market that people are looking for those sort of healthy staples that they can kind of keep in their fridge especially with tempeh it has like our organic tempeh again because it's pasteurized to keep fresh it literally has like about it varies obviously depending on when you buy it but it can have like months in terms of mm. shelf life you know just obviously keep it in the fridge um so there's a lot when we, when we speak to our customers a lot of them are saying they just stock up have it in the fridge and then whenever they need it for like a stir fry or a pasta you know they just use it so i guess you know for us in the past, it would have been like, you know, we would almost want to hold people's hand the whole journey and just sort of pre-season it for them, pre-cut it for them, just make it super clear what they'd use it in. But what we're actually finding now is that that's not really what people are looking for. But there is that still a bit of that barrier of, you know, it's a block, what on earth do I do with it? And that's what we've had to work really hard to try and support people with. And that's still sort of an ongoing process. Um, so actually currently sort of reformulating our packaging to make those cooking instructions even clearer, even more mm. intuitive and working on recipes. Again, just to position tempeh as that healthy staple that you kind of just add to you know similar to be honest to kind of what you would do with like chicken if you were having a you know a, a, like a non-vegetarian diet or a flexitarian diet or whatever you know you'd have chicken as that sort of healthy go-to staple kind of similar for tempeh uh, but we just need that you know we need to just educate people on how on how you can cook it but I think the great thing with tempeh is that you literally can cook it however you like you can eat it raw it's totally safe you could bake it you can fry it you can steam it you can boil it so there's almost nothing you can't do with tempeh so in that way mm. it's quite good for us because we don't need to sort of warn people against anything it's just about making sure that it tastes good of course and making sure that it's you know it's sucking in the flavors that they want and that's it is also very good at doing that we just need to make sure that we get that message across so for us that's really our priority at the moment is getting across how it performs as that staple and supporting people in doing that 
But it's interesting, isn't it? I, I'm, I was surprised you mentioned pasta there, right? Because I suppose I instinctively lean towards more sort of um, Asian-based cooking processes, as you say, things that will draw in the flavours, um, you know, whether that's soy or that sesame oil or whatever it happens to be. I was sort of imagining you'd go more more that way. Yeah, and I guess that's what we we kind of... You know, I think probably if you looked at our recipes on our website, may- maybe there would be a slight sort of leaning towards slightly more Asian flavours just because you say, it's kind of what people expect for products mm. like that, especially because, you know, when people first hear about tempeh, especially because it's soy-based, and they sit next to each other in the supermarket, they think, oh, tofu, and then they think how they would use tofu. Uh, obviously, there are quite distinct differences between the two, but, you know, in, in people's mind, often they kind of consider them sort of quite similar but that's actually something that we really want to move away from because you know our mission is to get as many people eating tempeh as possible you know ideally replacing you know not saying you know we're very sort of open-minded as a brand like we're not we're definitely not saying everyone needs to go vegan or whatever it's just more about reducing where you can and so for us we really want tempeh to be able to replace meat in any kind of dish and it really can because it's flavor in itself it's not you know it's not got a specific flavor profile really if anything people say it has a slightly nutty taste but you mm. can absorb whatever flavor you cook in and then it just takes on that flavor so i guess that's that's really what we want to try and push is it's, it's almost this vehicle for whatever flavor you want and then obviously you get loads of nutrition and a good texture along with it so yeah it is interesting you say that and, and people definitely you know that definitely is where people's minds go to more and so we try and give them that so they have those stir fry options you know they they know they can use it how maybe they initially thought, but also we want to sort of stretch people's thinking and widen those usage occasions as well. I like your your reference to a vehicle for flavour. I once remember a friend of mine telling me that snails were basically a vehicle for eating extra garlic and butter, which probably bread would be a more healthy and, and more, a more, more enjoyable alternative. Um, so I'm interested by, I mean, obviously one of the things that comes through very clearly on, on, on all your comms is that you are trying to be kind of um, inclusive in, in what you're doing and how you're building, building the brand. And I'm, I'm sort of impressed in some ways with the retailers that have picked you up and the retailers that you've obviously gone after, because this is this is a two-way street, right? But, you know, you talk about the fact you've done stuff, you know, Tesco's are a major retailer of yours, Asda, you know, Lidl, but not interestingly, you're not at Ocado, you're not at Waitrose. I would say the sort of, I'm sure, irritatingly, but I'm, I'm sure in some ways the sort of, the places I would expected you to have started as a Tempe brand isn't where you've started. How did that come about? And, and, and how, I suppose, how's your sort of thinking in that area evolving? Yeah, it's a good question. And to be honest, I think we're probably as surprised as you are. I think if you looked at our <laughs> plans a few years ago, it definitely would have been, you know, so we were in like Planet Organic, Whole Foods, although yeah, it took us about, we were much later in, like we got into Whole Foods much later than we expected to. I think I wrote a LinkedIn post about that being like, three years later than we thought we'd be here, we're here. It's just bizarre how things happen. And I think that's an, it's interesting with Tempeh because it is, I think it's so much about how people see it. And I think for us, and also how people see kind of us as a brand as well. Because I think, you know, the reason that Tesco and Asden and sort of Lidl, I think, have taken a bet on us is because they really do see the potential for Tempeh to grow. They see it as good, you know, that it's set to be one of the major products that are going to be on their plant-based shelf. And they and they want a brand that will champion it and sort of invest in it appropriately. And that's sort of why they've backed us, which is obviously wonderful. But I think maybe for some other retailers they just don't necessarily see it that way 
yet. I think they see it as, you know, they they, they sell it through. So Tofu Company also has a tempeh product, a plain mm-hmm. tempeh product. And I think all those, you know, Waitrose, Sainsbury's, they all sell uh, th- their product. So it's, it's not that they think, oh, there's, no, there's no, nothing for tempeh, but I think it's just taking them a little longer to see, okay, this is where we sort of predict the market's going to go. So it, it is an interesting one. And I think... It's just interesting to see the different strategies that different retailers have and also where they see plant-based going. And so I think for us, really building that confidence um, that that template is set to be, you know, the next big thing or whatever, and that we are the brand to do that, I think it's just down to how we're able to communicate that and how it aligns with the strategy of that retailer as well. Because I know for Tesco, they've got a huge focus now on sort of veg-based. That's a big strategic focus for them and plant-based. They know that that's where the market is going and they want to be the leaders in that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it's it's a mixture of kind of what, what we obviously, you know, we just want to get as many people ink tempeh as possible. And obviously we've been strategic in our approach you know, to certain retailers, maybe not reaching out to others, but there's yeah, there's no particular reason on our end we're not in those, but I think it's just how they see us and how they see the plant-based category. And, and obviously, hopefully that, that changes soon. I think it's interesting, though, because I think, you know, th- there is always that danger that when you your first distribution point is Selfridges and your second distribution point is, you know, kind of Whole Foods and what I'll call the super, super premium retail, which, broadly speaking, has no no relation to the reality of the UK and the UK consumer habits, I think it does potentially pull a brand into one kind of, strategy whereas actually starting at tesco's does mean that you do have to think mainstream you have to think about you know the average uk consumer which is both foodie and non-foodie um and you have to be a bit more kind of um real i would say about about the way you go to market versus you know if you start at you know selfridges and whole foods you know you are dealing with you know the the one percent of the population who may well have you know incredible kitchens and incredible store cupboards and therefore what they can cook is is slightly different i mean are you finding so who is generally the consumer who's choosing to pick up Better Nature? And has that surprised you? I think that is a good point because um, definitely I think, you know, launching into Tesco has been, it's been, a, it's, it's obviously a huge challenge for us for a product that has, you know, previously was considered quite niche. Uh, and so for us, we were so excited, obviously, to get to Tesco. We were also quite scared because we were like, oh, gosh, you know, now we need to really deliver. And so it's made us certainly, have, you know, we've had to think bigger. We've had to think more. You know, we've had to think, how, yeah, exactly as you say, how do we appeal to everyday UK customers? Because it's like when you're in sort of small health shops around London, that's a very different audience. So, you know, I think it's a good point. It's been a real it's been a real learning curve. But I think it, it's, it's, you know, it's obviously helping us gear up for, for the long term and, and, it, and also to reach as many people as we can, which has always been our aim. Um, and then in terms of your question about our target audience. So, yeah, so for us, it's the way we sort of loosely define it is that it's the kind of two criteria really is that they have to be health conscious. We just know that people... You know, that is why they're choosing our products over, you know, what maybe is the tastiest option or the most environmentally friendly option. Like we're not under no illusion. Like no one's trying eating tempeh because they think it is the absolute tastiest thing in the world. You know, we think it's very tasty and we think you can make it taste delicious. But anyway, as I said earlier, it's also kind of reflect, you know, down to what you do with it. And it's up to you mm. if you want something that's quite plain, then you can. But if you want something that's really indulgent, you can do that with tempeh. But it's, you know, if you want something that's quickly going to get you absolute best flavor in the world you know it's, it's not why people choose it um and the same for sort of environment we're very big on the environment and you know we we kind of we monitor our supply chain we get all our products sort of graded but again that's not our key message we don't shout about that 
as much as health. So we've noticed, and that's in research that we've done, so whether that's in sort of quantitative, qualitative, when we've done focus groups, that's always been what's drawn people more to our products. That's a real key thing. So, people so that health active, versus sustainability. Definitely. Health is number one for us. That is how, you know, that, that is the most important thing. And the second is people that are sort of open to plant-based. And again, it does not need, you know, we actually have not found correlation between people that are vegan or people that are just trying to eat meat less, you know, two or three times less a, a week or something like that. We actually found no difference real there in terms of how mm. people, how interested people are in our products. So, but but we have found a difference if someone's like, ugh, plant-based is not for me. You know, I'm, I'm interested in health, but for me, health is having my chicken, rice and broccoli, you know, the same meal every day, going to the gym, like, that's what I want. You know, fair enough, that that's fine. But that, you know, when we're not we're too small a brand to change that mindset for someone mm. thinking, oh, I'm, I would never, ever go for a plant-based option. I don't think they're healthy or whatever, to then choosing us. You know, o- over time, it would be brilliant if we could, you know, get to the stage where we could be changing them, those minds, you know, the minds of those people. We definitely plan to do that. But for right now, you know, we do have to be realistic. It's people that, you know, not necessarily even eating loads of plant-based, but have heard something. Maybe they've, you know, listen to Tim Spector talk about Zoe and heard that, you know, people need to be eating more plants or, you know, they've done the Zoe app and they've, they've seen Tempe mentioned or, you know, they've anything, they're just thinking, okay, I want to you know, either specifically want to try Tempe or just generally want to get more plants on their plate. Um, so kind of those for us are the two main, I guess, determiners of, of whether people are interested in our product. And obviously there are demographics around that of who generally yeah. fits that a bit more, but we try not to focus too much on that because it's not always that helpful. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you're talking about what I call the culinary engaged, right? In the end, you've got to actually, you know, the people who who believe that it's okay to eat chicken and broccoli every day, I mean, are are completely disengaged from, you know, from from the the, the pleasure of food, right? And actually, I do think that, you know, there is an element here where you've got to actually be prepared to lean in slightly in order to engage with a food type that does require a bit of thinking. But I think what's interesting is, I mean, I bought the um, the Zoe shot the other day. Um, I mean, it's £2 for a shot and it's sold at M&S. And you kind of go, that is, I mean, you know, who is going to buy that three to four days a week? You know, it's got to be a very small slice of society where I do think, you know, by by, by tackling Asda and, and Lidl and Tesco's, you are trying to to make this a broader, more inclusive church. Definitely. And I think it's, yeah, there's still a way to go. Like, yeah. ideally, our products would be, you know, we'd love to make them as accessible to as many people as possible. Unfortunately, it's, yeah, easier said than done, especially in terms of, like, you know, the margins that, ex- that are expected on plant-based products compared to, like animal-based products and obviously we don't get the same subsidies as animal-based products as well so it's, it can be really difficult to to be as accessible to people as we want but 100% that is our aim you know we don't want to be this elitist brand that is just accessible to the you know a small percentage we just want as many people to eat tempeh as possible but obviously we also need to sort of a viable sustainable business so trying to balance the two can be quite a challenge. So what are you doing in terms of marketing? So I was quite I was quite interested that actually your Instagram following is probably not as big as I thought it would be considering your distribution. I mean, what's your approach to, I mean, obviously you've got the distribution. How are you creating consumer pull? Yeah, I think lo- lots of different ways, really. I guess for us, it's just about thinking where are the people that 
you know, that, that fit that criteria I just mentioned before, like where are they getting their information and specifically where are they hearing about new foods to try? So PR is a big focus for us. So trying to get into sort of the health magazine. So recently we were in like Women's Health, for example, which was like the dream feature for us. Um, and just trying to get yeah, the people that are talking more about eating, you know, eating more plants generally, getting them to talk about tempeh. Uh, we do we do do quite a lot in terms of like digital as well, just trying to target people that are around, you know, the stores that we're stocked in, and also meet that meet that criteria. We've st- do do like events as well, so we've been doing like well being events, which have been really um, effective. So we were at like Happy Place Festival, for example, last year again, sort of really focusing on that health conscious audience and well energy, and then we're booked in for about four this summer. Um, and then we do, yeah, like sampling. Sampling is really important for mm-hmm. us. Uh, so just actually trying to get people to try the products and obviously as close to the point of purchase as possible. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of, for us, it's, I guess we're all yeah, looking at it in terms of the, the sort of funnel and sort of bringing people down the funnel. So at the top, we've sort of got that awareness piece where we just need to get people actually knowing what tempeh is and especially that warmer mm. audience. And so that's where you know, things like the PR, like influencer partnerships, brand partnerships we do, um, all that sort of comes in there, like events, just getting people to actually take note and then sort of further down the funnel is things like sampling and then get, you know, once they've actually considered us, actually getting them to try us. Um, obviously, to be honest, like driving, like like promotions are also really important and just to get people over that initial hurdle of just being like, oh, I've heard about this. Oh, I'm not sure whether to try it. And then just like getting them to try it for the first time because we always find that's the biggest challenge for us is that especially, you know, with the cost of living crisis at the moment, if someone hasn't tried a food before and, you know, they need to buy something which might be for them, might also be for their partner, might also be for their children, they want to feel, you know, they want to feel, probably feel like they're getting a good deal to begin with. Also, ideally have tried it. So that's why sampling is important. Um, but that promotion and just just getting them over that hurdle can be really effective. And then we find that people generally, the, the kind of feedback to the, the products are really positive And then they kind of obviously come back and buy again and again. So, yeah, just trying to be really, I guess for us, we're really about sort of intentionality and just being like, OK, is is this marketing activity, is this budget actually going to deliver on what we're looking for? Or is it a bit of a vanity metric? And that's something that, so things like, you know, we've discussed things like, with, you know, Instagram following before. Yeah, ideally it would, you know, it would be higher. I think probably most brands would say that. But is that really going to determine, you know, whether people actually are hearing about us and actually moving down that funnel? What we found is not so much. But again, obviously you can't, you know, and also I think the thing is you can't do everything. So for us, no, it's about course. focusing on fewer channels and doing them really well. And then if one of them, you know, isn't that effective or we see that it's just not yielding the results we're looking for, then obviously either test something different within that or move to something else. But for us, yeah, being sort of focused and intentional uh, is really important. I think your point about sampling is, is really interesting because actually, look, you know, as you as you rightly say, if you are, you know, a family of four and you're, you know, you're you're trying to plan a, you know, a Tuesday, Wednesday night meal and you go, oh, let's try tempeh. Actually, if it goes wrong and the kids hate mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a problem, right? Yeah. And actually, I think there is that game where, you know, giving people the confidence that it's going to be okay, giving people the confidence that they can cook it. You know, sampling does help well with which, truth be told, digital is not brilliant at. It's good on the awareness piece, but it yeah. is much harder um, on on the other piece. Um, so I've seen that you've um, you've raised through Cedars um, yeah. over over your time, but obviously you've done lots of different things from a from a fundraising perspective. Tell me a bit about the fundraising journey you've been on and, and what you're you've sort of found um, useful to pass on. Uh, sure, you don't, you don't yeah. take me through the horror shows of it. I, yeah, I, I know how no. bad it is. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, so we've had... So the way it sort of started is we, we raised the sort of initial round uh, quite early on. So we sort of decided we were going to do this kind of a few months in after sort of trying to start sort of building things up. We decided, okay, like if we actually really want to dedicate, you know, all our time to this, you know, and if we want to live in London while doing it, we're going to need to pay ourselves a bit. So we raised um, a, a kind of a smaller round uh, through connections that we already had in the sort of plant-based space and then some friends and family as well. So we were very fortunate uh, to be able to do that. And then um, over, what was that? So that was 2019. And then by 2021, we raised our seed round. Uh, so that's where we raised from through the Good Food Fund, which was um, a sort of joint, like a collaboration between Extension Ventures uh, and Mission Ventures. So Extension Ventures sort of put the money in and then Mission Ventures sort of support you on this, this kind of almost like a business audit and then, you know, help you mm -hmm. sort of really optimize your business, which we found hugely helpful. Um, it resulted actually in, in a rebrand. So when I was talking earlier about how we, we would sort of done more like health conscious meat alternatives, that was kind of where we were at at that point. Uh, and we knew that things needed to change because there were just some things that weren't working as well as we wanted, but their support in sort of figuring that out and actually pinpointing that what we needed to do was just really lean into tempeh as this like, protein staple and that it, it you know, didn't need to be something else it could just be what it was and that could you know still really get people's interest uh, was very powerful so that was really great and then also as part of that round we also raised on cedars for the first time um, and then we raised sort of like a an interim uh round i think about a year later just to sort of help us achieve some key milestones uh, and then earlier this year we raised our pre-series a which we also raised sorry not earlier this year oh my gosh <laughs> last year um yep. we raised our uh pre-series a um which also had a part of it was from cedars um so that's kind of been our our journey uh i'd say in terms of learnings to be honest chris my co-founder has like led on all fundraising rounds so I think he'd have probably much more useful insights than me but obviously you know we've all been quite involved and supported him and especially, you know for me as well from like a, a marketing perspective as well I've sort of obviously supported in terms of building out that narrative and, and everything um I'd say yeah what kind of tips can I share I mean just focusing on cedars I'd say it's a lot more work than people maybe realize and I'm not, not saying not to do it because I think that there are great benefits uh, that come from it as well and it's a great way to build momentum to really have those engaged fans and you know it, you know as you do raise money through it as well but it does take a lot of work and, and mm. sort of you do need to be prepared that for the time that you're raising there and even probably for like the month before so let's say let's say around two months it is going to significantly distract you from other parts of running the business and I think we've been fortunate to be able to do that because again to be honest there have been four of us so I was able mm. to kind of predominantly be the one leading on that and then Chris was obviously supporting as well um but I think if it you know if you're just a a one two three person team it's yeah it's, it's a huge distraction you kind of just need to accept that things might need to be put on hold as you're focusing on that which 
to be honest, is the case for any fundraising because fundraising yeah, yeah. is incredibly time intensive. But I just think sometimes there is this perception of Cedars that it's a bit different, that, you know, you just upload a profile and then the money floods in. It's just very much not that. And um, what was and the thing that took the time? Was it Was it answering people's questions and just the kind of constant need to update and kind of also close the round with so many individuals? Yeah, it's that. But then it's also actually getting people to the page. I think, you know, you assume... You know, you assume that people just flood in, but I guess, you know, not necessarily. Your audience, you know, our audience was very good and they, you know, we just put a few sort of social posts out and some emails and and they came in. But, you know, if you're thinking who your average audience are, they're not probably they're going to be investing like thousands of pounds into a business. You know, we were fortunate to have lots of people invest sort of 10 pounds, 20 pounds, which is great. And, that, you know, that's something that we were looking for from the process. But if you're trying to reach your goal, you do need those higher... You need some bigger... Yeah, you need you need those higher numbers, and that's probably not going to come from necessarily you know your Instagram or TikTok audience. It's probably going to come from other ways, and so you know we, we did leverage sort of LinkedIn a bit more this time. Uh, we let leverage sort of Cedars' its own community, so they have some options where you can reach out to the community. But it's a, yeah, it's a lot of sort of yeah, in reaching out to people, trying to actually make sure people come to the page. And exactly then once they come to the page, you know they have a lot of questions, which is fair enough, especially the ones that are looking to invest a bit more. You know, they, they, they want to have the proper due diligence, which is totally understandable, but it just does take a long time. So we prepared to try and save time. We prepared this sort of long list of documents uh, just so everyone kind of people had what we thought was sort of all the information they needed. And of course, if they had questions, they were very welcome to ask. Uh, but even just preparing those obviously took a long, you know, a very long time. And then there's a lot of sort of stuff you need to do behind the scenes with Cedars just to make sure everything's sort of legally compliant and... It's just, yeah, it is just a lot, a lot more work than, than you would think, but yeah. <clears throat> Look, one always needs more fundraising rounds than one thinks, and it always takes longer yeah. than one thinks. I mean, it's kind 100%. of an, 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 an eternal, eternal challenge. So what's on the table for the sort of the big, the big focus areas for, for this year? Uh, for this year, the focus really is to, to try and make sure that we sort of grow within the retailers that we're in and really trying to get to, you know, reach new, reach new people, really become known as sort of the, a more sort of mainstream brand like it feels like you know you alluded to it when you introduced us the last 12 months have been really huge for us they've I feel like yeah it feels like a very different business this January than it did last January which Mm. is amazing Uh, and we've reached way more people than you know in the last 12 months than we had before Uh, but yeah our goal is to sort of keep that growing of course Uh, and that's really you know we don't want to just be I think some Businesses can just be so desperate to get more, more, more listings, which obviously, you know, if, if Sainsbury's came to us tomorrow, I wouldn't say no. But I think it's so important also to make sure that you're, you know, really focused on the listings that you already have, because there are so many ways to grow them and just make sure that they're really delivering. And obviously, we're so fortunate to have such great partners, you know, such huge partners like Tesco, Asda and Lidl as well. Um, so, and of course, of course, the others that we have, although I think the, there is more limitations in terms of how you can grow things like Whole Foods and Planet Organic and Selfridges. Uh, so that for us is a real big focus. MPD is a big focus for us. So really trying to think, you know, okay, people might be looking for those more plain staples, but how can we deliver that in different ways? How can you make it as easy as possible for them to really... To, you know, to be able to use tempeh in, in how they want to use it. And then, of course, you know, with, with marketing, just gain that messaging, right? It's still something that's a constant work in progress for me. I spend all my, all my days just thinking, like, how can I just make it as clear and as simple as possible for people, you know, what tempeh is and how to use it? Sometimes, you know, not even necessarily having to explain, 
you know, tempeh is a plant-based protein. No, how can I do it simply, clearly in language that people use mm. um, to really see how it plays a role in their life and really appeal to them, uh, you know, to the needs they currently have. And, and even if they can't think of tempeh as a solution to it, how do I sort of bring that in and, and make that something they want to sort of adopt more into their diet? So really trying to lean more sort of psychologically as well. My, my, actually, my background is in psychology. My degree is in psychology. Uh, and it's something I'm really trying to use more and more in my work and just kind of get people sort of, yeah, meet people where they're at, essentially. So, yeah, I'd say those are sort of the main, the main goals for us this year. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the whole, the, your, your point about trying to grow in the retailers you're in is so important because you can get so ahead of yourselves. And actually, the truth is, to, to win in a retailer like Tesco's costs money, right? You need to create pull-through. You need to make sure yeah. there are promotions. You need to service the account. And actually, you can generate growth through distribution. And I think there are a lot of plant-based brands that got very fast distribution but didn't create the rate of sale. And actually, they've no longer got the distribution, right? Which kind of kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, listen, this, is, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Um, I suppose a final question... Um, if we were to come round to, to dinner at your house, what is your... I mean, obviously, it's going to be tempeh. If it isn't, then you're kind of, of off-brand as, as the head of marketing. Um, what is your sort of go-to go recipe? Oh, it's a good question. I feel like it changes all the time, if I'm honest. Uh, recently, I'd say my go-to recipe at the moment is I've been creating this really sort of rich tomato garlicky sort of stew with lots of veggies. And then I've been crumbling up tempeh having smoked paprika adding smoked paprika a bit of pepper a bit of salt to it a bit of oil popped it in the oven so it gets really crispy and then had that on top and it's been banging so i'd say that currently is is my go-to and is that a recipe that you've invented or a recipe that is from someone else that's a recipe i've invented i basically always invent my own recipes i never i'm for someone who has actually written a lot of recipes that have gone on our website, I probably would hate to hear this but from someone else, but I literally never follow recipes. <laughs> I just sort of see how it goes. I get inspired by recipes. Yeah, yeah. And then I sort of like to go my own way. I love cooking, so I just I find it way more enjoyable and relaxing to sort of play around with flavours myself rather than sort of be there sort of following exact sort of lists of things to do. But, yeah, so my own my own creation. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Oh, well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it and great hearing about the story and I hope it goes well from here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Food Talk Show and if you enjoyed this episode please do follow us on LinkedIn or subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts.